When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to a very happy and relieved Rico Bronia as the New York Mets have completed a sweep. How sweep it is of the Philadelphia Phillies at City Field. They basically reversed everything all the bad, all the negative. All the worry, at least for a few days, they reversed it with this three-game sweep against the Philadelphia Phillies. And it feels so, 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 so good. Because the last time we talked, after the series defeat at the hands of the Colorado Rockies, there were real concerns, and they still exist to a degree. There were real concerns about the pitching rotation, about this bullpen, about who you can trust. I mean, listen, they were fresh off giving up 21 runs in two games to the Colorado Rockies, 21 runs. So you come home against the Philly team that has not clicked offensively. If we're being fair about this, they didn't have Bryce Harper for a long period of time. Trey Turner has had a dreadful season. Kyle Schwarber, for the most part, I know he's at 13 home runs, is having a dreadful season. JT Riamuto is having a mediocre season. So, yeah, coming into the year, I picked them to win the division. I think Sal picked them to win the division. I think Hall, I think we all picked the Phillies to win the NLEs. We figured they were going to pick up where they left off from last year, and offensively, they have not. So I, I know the context of who this team is coming into this series, but they have Bryce back. It's a big series against the Mets, and after the Mets dominated them a year ago, I was very worried going into this three-game series. And the last thing I thought would happen would be that this rotation would come out, and this bullpen, which we'll get to, would come out and dominate the way it did. So let's enjoy the sweep. We'll talk about the other underlying issues, the lineup, Daniel Vogelback, roster moves, and all that. But let's start with the opener of this three-game series because Kodai Senga, and as you know listening, I've been a little bit of a Senga defender. I have been very patient with Kodai Senga. And a part of my patience is that he gives you signs that he can be really, really good. Had he put it all together so far over his first nine starts? No. Wildly inconsistent, lack of command, inability from the Mets, not him, to pitch every five days. He always needs to be pushed back. And really weird splits home and road, which we knew going in. But Kodai Senga comes out, and I'm pissed I wasn't at this game. I had to make a decision of which of the three games, which of the two games I'd go to. I couldn't go Thursday, obviously, doing the afternoon show. 
Tuesday, Wednesday, I can only pick one. I'm taking my family to two games over the weekend. I had to pick one. And I picked the Wednesday game because of the Howie Rose bobblehead. But Tuesday night, Kodai Senga is on the mound. And Kodai Senga, and you could tell very early on, he was as dominant as we've ever seen. We've seen glimpses of dominance from Kodai. We've seen his ability to kind of ball up in a big spot, nut up in a big spot. I don't know if that's used correctly. Show some guts in a big spot. Whatever. It's a podcast. I apologize. Don't look up those terms. He didn't have to on Tuesday night. That was what was so scintillating about him. One, two, three first. One, two, three second. Three strikeouts in the first two innings. His ghost fork ball is unhittable. He's getting guys swinging at two twos in the dirt, three twos in the dirt, and then not even making good contact. Like Cody, now he is working some deep counts, and it is what it is. There's going to be three two counts. The pitch count's getting up a little bit early on, but he is looking so dominant. He retires the first seven guys. He gives up a real cheap blue pit to Cody Clemens, Rogers' son, and then promptly, without missing a beat, gets Dalton Guthrie out, gets Bryson Stott out, and he is in full command. The only time, and this really is remarkable. The only time Kodai Senga gave up a baseball that was hit all that hard was the Castellanos ball in the fourth that, let's face it, was a home run. And Brandon Nemo made that incredible leaping catch reminding you of what he did against the Dodgers last year in late August with Jake on the mound. That was an outstanding catch by Brandon Nemo, and that was really the one blemish. Now, more on Nemo in a second because I want to talk about his defense. It's, it's amazing. But other than that, Senga gets the next guy out, one, two, three, fifth, one, two, three, sixth. He gets another really good catch by Nimmo in the seventh, one, two, three, seventh. And I'm looking down at my scorecard, and I couldn't believe what I'm looking at. I'm like, holy crap, this guy, this guy has retired every batter he's faced. He has struck out nine guys. Every batter he's faced but one, the bloop single. He has struck out nine guys. And while, sure, there were a bunch of full counts, not denying that, he didn't walk one guy. This was a guy who came into the game with 31 walks in 48 innings, and he did not walk one person. His pitch count at that point after seven was at a number in which you knew he's coming out of the game, and even 100. And while, yeah, there may be a time where you want to push someone when they're at 100, we certainly don't live into that world anymore. Maybe in the postseason would you see something like that. Guy gets to 100, he's coming out of the game, especially when he's Kodai Senga, and especially when you're wondering about his availability for his next start. Because unless the Mets make a move, and as of this recording, I have not heard about them making a move, Kodai Senga would be in line to make his first start on regular rest on Sunday. So if you're Buck Showalter and the Mets and there's ever a day in which you want to keep his pitch count maybe lower than normal, it would be now unless they don't have any plans of him pitching on Sunday. So, look, there's no question he's coming out of the game after 100 pitches, but I was even wondering as this game was going on, would he take him out earlier for the reasons I'm giving? If Senga is going to break that snide, and it's not his issue, it's a med issue, but if he's going to break that streak of not pitching on four days rest, maybe you'd want to do it coming off of a start in which he throws, let's say, 87 pitches. Now, I I hope this is not an issue. I hope Senga pitches on Sunday because he's going to have to do it eventually. And I said this before, why not do it now? Like, what are we waiting for? 
But on Tuesday night, he was utterly brilliant. The Met offense, on the other hand, did <laughs> he basically did nothing. Francisco Lindor hits the home run in the fourth inning off Ranger Suarez. And they did have a few opportunities in this game. Nothing crazy. Starling Marte had a two-out single and a stolen base, and McNeil couldn't drive him in. They had a one-out rally in the third. They had a rally after the Lindor home run. They got the leadoff men on the fifth inning, and Escobar quickly grounded into a double play. They were doing nothing against Ranger Suarez. They did put something together in the seventh when Marte gets that little blue pit on an 0-2 pitch, and then McNeil is bunting. He's not bunting the sack. He's bunting for a hit. It turns into a sacrifice, and after Tommy Pham walks, Eduardo Escobar gets that RBI single in the seventh inning against Connor Brogdon, and I thought that was a really interesting point in this game, and I'll tell you why. It's one nothing Mets. It's the bottom of the seventh. You kind of know Sanga's out like we discussed. He's out 100 pitches, seven scoreless innings. Brilliant outing. And Rob Thompson takes Suarez out, takes the lefty out. Escobar was playing because of his numbers against Ranger Suarez, part of why he was playing. And he goes to a righty. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And we know Escobar is better as a left-hand hitter. If you're Buck, you got an easy way to retort this if you want. You've got Brett Beatty on the bench. You've got Daniel Vogel back on the bench. Neither guy had been used at this point. And I was very curious... What does Buck do? To me, his only option is Beatty. And the reason his only option is Beatty has nothing to do with Daniel Vogelback sucking, which I'm sure many people on this podcast listening right now want me to get into. And we will. We will talk about Daniel Vogelback at some point. But he ain't the lead story, not when you sweep the Phillies, and not on Tuesday night when they win the opener. The reason your only option is Beatty is because Beatty would then come into the game to play third base. If you use Vogelback, you're going to have to use Beatty anyway to come in to play third base. So your option is Escobar or Beatty. That's it. And I didn't hate him sticking with Escobar. I didn't hate it. And I'm not saying that because it worked out and he came through with the RBI single that gave the Mets the second run. I'm saying it because Escobar is hitting. And the one thing I want to make very, very clear, this is my opinion on the subject, when it comes to veterans and young players The Mets are not rebuilding. Okay, this is not a team that's going to lose 95 games where, hey, I don't need to see that veteran. Just show me the young guys. I want to win. So when I scream and yell about who should DH, whether it's Vientos, Vogelback, or anybody else, it's not because I have this infatuation with seeing young players. It's because I want to win. And I think most of us agree that Vogelback doesn't give them the best chance to win. But our fatuation with the young guy is not because they're young. It's because we think it gives the Mets a better chance to win. Obviously, Brett Beatty's the future. And on most nights, I want Brett Beatty starting and playing third base. On most nights. Can there be a night like we saw Tuesday where you sit him? I'm okay with it. Escobar's got good numbers against the guy. Fine. And Escobar's good. Like We got to remind ourselves this. Eduardo Escobar, for the last month, has been good. He got off to an abysmal start. He lost the third base job, rightfully so. Beatty's come up, and when Bucks used him, mostly as a right-hand hitter, he's been effective. He was one for two at that point. Did ground into that double play, but did have a one-out single in the third. The average is up to 240. 
He's hit four home runs. Like, he's been a productive player over the last couple of weeks. So I was intrigued. Like, uh, let me see him get a left-handed at-bat. I'm up one nothing in the game. Maybe later I use Beatty. Maybe there's another situation where I use Beatty. Maybe I'm pinch-hitting for Tommy Pham later in this game. I don't know. Because think about it. Once I use Beatty there, I'm married to Tommy Pham getting an at-bat. Or Mark Hanna. One of the two guys. And obviously this is before Mark Hanna had you know, his monster few days against the Phillies, which we'll get to. So I was okay with Escobar hitting, and he absolutely rewarded Buck with that ground ball up the middle. Then Brandon Immel was about to wrap the game up with a roper up the alley, and Castellanos made a, a tremendous, tremendous sliding catch to keep the game at 2 nothing. But then it was bullpen time. And like I said when we did our last Rico, who do you trust in this bullpen outside of David Robertson? Well, you have to trust Adam Adovino. He's been up and down. But if you're making that trust meter, that little trust tree, Adovino is going to be towards the top. And that's not because he's great. It's because what are your options? He walks JT Realmuto on four pitches. And let's all admit, we're panicking. We're panicking. The Mets are up 2 nothing. Adam Adovino fresh into this game after Senga's brilliant. Seven innings, one hit, no runs, nine strikeouts, no walks, 100 pitches. And he walks the leadoff guy on four pitches. And then thank you, Lord. Thank you, baseball gods. Thank you, JT Riamuto. Thank you, Adam Adovino. And thank you, Francisco Alvarez. Because for some reason that I cannot figure out, JT Riamuto tries to seal second base. <laughs> That's a Met move from earlier this season. Remember Brandon Nimmo? Remember that crap? To the credit of Alvarez and to the credit of Adovino, who's usually terrible at holding guys on, Adovino got the ball to the play quick. Alvarez makes a great throw into the runner. McNeil applies the tag. And JT Realmuto hands the Mets an out in the eighth inning. And Adovino, to his credit, gets the next two guys out. David Robertson gives up the one-out single, gets Bryson Stott to ground into a double play, and Robertson continues to be near perfect as the Met closer, filling in for Edwin Diaz, and the New York Mets win a nice, neat, and tidy 2-0-2-hour-and-20-minute masterpiece at Citi Field. You have to be encouraged by Senga. You have to be encouraged by the bullpen getting six outs, your two most trustworthy relievers. You have to be encouraged by Lindor. And I've said this a million times about Lindor. He's clutch. That's the one thing I'll say about him, man. He he is clutch, and he plays every day. And there are plenty of other numbers you can look at, like the batting average, and say, ah, it's not that good. Because it's not. I'm not going to lie. Or, ah, the OPS, not that good. It's not. I'm not going to sit here and argue that. How could you argue with it? It's not good. But after he hits that home run in game one, 10 home runs, 40 RBIs, and the swing that changed that game. So credit to Lindor. And he's done that a lot. He's done that a lot as a Met. Sometimes I will give you stats, and I'll give you numbers, and I'll look it up. And sometimes there's a feeling. Sometimes there's a, hey, I watch every single game. Here's how I feel about a guy. Watching every single game, here's my feeling on Lindor. He plays every day, and he's clutch. Where do I rank him among shortstops? I don't care. Where do I rank him amongst MLB players? I don't care. I really don't. I think that's the beauty of when you're a fan of a team. Like, It's not about any of that stuff. It's about, does that guy help my team win? And he certainly did in game one of this series. So great victory. 
I watched this game way far behind, too, on DVR. Way far behind. I forget the reason. I must have hit traffic or something. Or I gave my wife. We had a long conversation about life. And I must have started this game like at 9 o'clock at night. So I, I gave you no live tweets if anybody cares about that. The one thing I did see from this game, and I appreciate a friend of mine that was in the building, is that they played the Guess the Met game. They call it resume, where they give you the resume of a Met player, three hints, and then you've got to guess who the player is. So after the game is over, I check my text messages. This must have been 11 o'clock at night, 10, 30, 11, whenever I got the game done, whenever I got it done. And I'm reading the messages mostly about the Mets, some about life. And I see blind resume. And it's the scoreboard. I'm like, what the hell is this? So I read hint number one. I played for both the Mets and the Phillies. A lot of options with that. Clue number two. My 22 home runs in 1995 were the most among all Mets. As soon as I saw that hint, come on. I, of course I knew who it was. It was Rico. It's my man. But then I read clue number three. And you should all be very proud of yourselves for downloading this podcast. Clue three, a well-known radio host has a podcast named after me. <laughs> First of all, I don't know about well-known. We going with that? Okay. But the Rico made the Rico. So congratulations to every single person listening. I wish I was at that game. Though, you know what's funny if I was at the game? There's a decent chance I never see it. There's a decent chance, because when I'm at the game, and look, I guess it depends who I'm with. If I'm with my dad, if I'm with a buddy of mine, I talk. You know, I'm talking to him, or maybe I'm not talking. Maybe I'm checking my phone. Maybe I'm texting my wife because I'm feeling guilt that I'm at a Met game while my two kids are sleeping and my wife's home alone. So there's a really good chance I never would have seen it. So even if I was at the game, I don't know. I don't know if I would have been able to enjoy it. But I want to thank my friend Dennis, who took the picture and sent it to me. Thank you. Great victory. 